People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Simon Sinek. Welcome to the Mastering Purpose Podcast. This is Nick, and this is session number seven. Hey, what's up? Today I've got Steven Shedletsky from startwithwhy.com. He is the head engagement officer. He works directly with Simon Sinek and some other people on his on his team that they go in and they really help organizations find the why behind what they're doing and trying to understand their culture and other aspects of their business in order to make sure that they are living with purpose each and every day. We covered a lot of great topics and I hope that you'll really get a lot of benefit from this episode and Stay tuned all the way to the end. You'll find out how you can reach out to Stephen and find some more information out about their organization. Also, at the time of this recording, I was a little under the weather, so you might hear some cough drops moving around in my mouth or just some sniffles or things like that. Okay, so let's jump right into the interview. So you're the head engagement officer. So just talk about what yeah. that is and then uh, kind of what the mission and what Start With Why does. Um. So... I'll first start with why, which would make sense um, <laughs> before I talk about my role and, and what I do with it. But, uh, you know, start with why was started by Simon Sinek. Um, he is an optimist, not a cynic, but I'm Ching. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was started by him about 11 years ago. Uh, and he started it because he knew what he did. He knew how he did it different and better than others, but he could not tell you clearly why he did it. Um, 11 years ago, Simon was leading a small marketing communications firm, you know, okay. helped clients with their communication and marketing needs. Yeah. And the stat in the United States is nine out of 10 businesses will fail within their first four years of operation. Right. And so Simon was on this rat race to make it into the fourth year. <laughs> and, and he did. And once he did, he began to question what, what's it all for? Um, he did great work. He worked with great people. Um, he knew how their small firm differentiated from others, but he could find no clear, compelling reason or thread to explain the purpose of himself and of his organization. And so he, he already started using this concept called the golden circle, which is that the, those three rings, that bullseye with why in the middle, how, then what. He began using it to explain why some marketing was compelling and why some other marketing messaging fell flat. And he went to a conference and shared the golden circle with someone who happened to be, be a PhD in neuroscience. And they said to him, hey, you know, this is how our brains work and all of our decision-making and emotions work. And he went, I'm listening. And so little, little did he know, he made a discovery and cracked the code for something much deeper. Um, it's not just about what makes compelling messaging. It's these are tenets and principles that we can all use to feel um, fulfilled uh, and feel inspired, to find what inspires us, to create it, and then to find the other people, platforms, opportunities, organizations that we can align ourselves with, with that will inspire us. Um, and so I feel very fortunate because 
my why is to engage people in meaningful ways so we live in a more fulfilled world. And I've been able to align myself with Simon and us as an organization who are an expression in the world of what I care about, which is I want people, I've, I've been in my career where I have felt unmotivated, disengaged, unfulfilled, and uninspired. And I want to feel the very opposite. And our greatest way to feel the very opposite is not just to do it for ourselves, but to help in doing it for others. Yeah, it's true. Right? There's this service thing with us being human that when we create things for others, we get it ourselves as well. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard it from multiple people that, you know, one of the best things you can do is give. And you, you don't totally. get that, that value and the return that you get on giving is never the same as receiving ever. There And there's research that shows that if if you ever go for a massage or you've given someone a massage, mm-hmm. you actually get more uh, oxytocin, which right. is the neurochemical that's released when you serve or when you touch, like a loving touch. Like if someone is hurting, what do you do? You rub their leg. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Physi- physical contact and service to others releases oxytocin in our system, which makes us feel good. It mm-hmm. makes us feel loved and safe. And so there's research that shows that the oxytocin benefits of receiving a massage is less so than the one who's giving it. Really? So you actually get better health outcomes from giving a massage rather than receiving a <laughs> massage because you're the one doing the act of service. Right. So we always think that the <laughs> we think that the massage therapist is the person that is hating their job, but in real, reality, they're actually enjoying it. They're liking it most yeah. of the time. <laughs> well, if you really want the health benefits of, of, of a massage, give one, <laughs> which is funny. I've so, never heard that um, before. It's interesting. Yeah. It's in a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant is where I learned that one. But the research wasn't done by him. Okay. Um, yeah. And just to answer quickly, head engagement officer, um, it, it is a title that isn't, uh, I, I haven't seen anywhere else, which is fun. <laughs> I, I love variety and, and creativity and originality. Um, it's in charge of engagement. Uh, my responsibility is first and foremost, I have responsibilities in our team to ensure that we practice what we preach. Yeah. We have, we have a team of 19 people and some other partners as well, but a core team of 19. And it is my great, um, privilege, honor and responsibility to, to help contribute to our culture in a way that we feel that we're a part of the very movement that we're intending to create. Yeah. Cause if we, if we don't, we just might as well stop. Right. Um, so that's on the internal. And then um, externally, I get to do things like these, speak with you, speak with champions, speak with audiences and organizations who are eager for this content and for this work and help them um, get more deeply engaged in it so they can use it. So that's right. what I do with head engagement officer. So you have this, you speak about fulfillment and you know inspiration and things like that. So are you, um, Simon Sinek kind of leads the Start With Why movement? And then you have he has people under him like you and some other people. Is that correct? Yeah. So so we we describe it as um, Simon is the spark and the flame, and he's responsible for the vision and uh, where we're heading, uh, and really what are we doing? What what is the direction in which we should be be heading? Um, Simon is that lighthouse, and he points us towards this is where we're going. You know, he describes his role as. Have you ever been with friends solving a, a jigsaw puzzle and like everyone sort of plays a role on the team, 
there is the one who's the cheerleader. We can do it, guys. You know, there's <laughs> there is the 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 one who is the one down, moving all the pieces, not talking much. You know, yep. there there's the one getting people snacks and drinks. You know, like everyone <laughs> has a role. And Simon says his role is to point on the picture uh, on the box. Okay, we cannot solve a jigsaw puzzle unless we have the picture. We if we don't know where we're going. Any road will take us there. But if we know where we're going, the route where it becomes clear and we can take many different ways to get there. And so Simon's job is we're very clear on the vision of the world that we wish to live in. The, the picture on the on the puzzle box is a world in which the vast majority of us feel inspired by what we do every single day, feel safe when we show up to work and go home at the end of each day uh, feeling fulfilled by the work that we do. Yeah. And so his role is to continue to point us in that direction. Um, and then we have uh, an, a team of people, um, the majority of which are on the operations side of the business that help us um, bring that to, to life by creating products and solutions. And then um, myself and a few uh, others go out and do the work with other organizations that are eager to bring this to life as well in their own right. Yeah. Well, I asked that question because I know there's people out there um, that they struggle being the kind of not the leader, you know, the leader of a business, the leader of a company that they're working for. And they struggle to be that person that has the the leader over top of them. If you're an entrepreneur, people know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, mm. it sounds like the way that you guys have it structured that there's not there. Everybody has their own role, but there's not people out there that don't enjoy what they're doing because they're in the role that they want to be in. What gives them the inspiration? What gives them the fulfillment? Is that right? Yeah. So we're, we're of the belief that you cannot, you can't lead an organization. You run an organization. You can only lead people. And so leadership isn't a title. We know people who have the highest ranks in organizations and they're not leaders. We know people that are in the lowest ranks of organizations and they are leaders. And what it means to be a leader is that you show up in service to the people around you. Uh, and the only thing you need, if you want to know if you're a leader, check and see if you have any followers. Are there people who are willingly raising their hand and saying, I trust Nick. I, I want to go where he's going. When you ask for help, do people show up and offer to help you? And it doesn't mean that they have to do it for you, but they say, hey, I can't, but ask Dave. Dave knows someone. Ask Dave to introduce you to Nancy, right? So, so to like, if you look at the anthropology of leadership, it just means that people trust you, that they feel that you have their best interest at in mind and at heart, and that they're willing to go where you point, um, not for you, but for themselves. And so, sometimes you have that person who's at the head of an organization. Sometimes you have that person and they're the lowest ranks of the organization. And though they may not have the title of leadership, they are a leader. Um, and we encourage people. It's the easiest thing to do is to point and be a victim of if only they changed. If only, if only, if only, if only. Look at, look at the influence you already have uh, and choose to be the leader you wish you had. Uh, and if enough of us do that, we'll live in a far better world. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a big deal. And a lot of people don't think of it that way. A lot of people think, well, I don't want to go to work because I have a boss over me and I have to listen to what my boss says. And that makes my work day terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's a difference between a boss and a leader, just as there's, there's a difference between a manager and a That's leader. That's true. Yeah. Right. 
you know, managers are ones who who seek compliance. <laughs> Leaders are ones who <laughs> who who seek to to help us get somewhere and accomplish something. Yeah, knowing that we're the ones who are doing the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Okay, so you kind of touched on this a uh, moment ago, but what gives you that that drive to you know to get up every day? I've talked about it in the beginning. You know, one of my biggest things is I don't think people should live on cruise control, and I think there's a lot of other people out there that agree with that. But then, mm-hmm. you know, there's a person that's living their life twenty years later; they don't realize that they were on cruise control the whole time. So, what yeah. gives you that drive when you're getting up and doing this start with why movement or doing you know, your inspiration, you know, what, um, what gives you that drive? So I, I often have the, um, the philosophical debate, both in my own head. Can you have inspiration without tragedy? Can you have, um, you know, love without fear? Can you have, you know, uh, inspiration without pain? Mm -hmm. And so one of the big things is the reason that I do this work and I'm driven to do this work is from my why. And my why comes from my life experiences, the moments where I've been ultimately fulfilled or the moments that I've um, been in the most pain. And so I fortunately had some amazing experiences through my college years where I got to experience fulfillment in college classrooms yeah. and in my extracurricular work in college. I, I got to to do things that I were nat- that I was naturally talented as, you know, and a strength is defined as a talent that you practice, yeah. right? And so I had opportunities to do things that I was naturally good at, and to do it for something that I cared about. Uh, and then I entered into the workforce, and I found that I wasn't as easily able to do those things. I wasn't able to hone in and work on my strengths and talents as much as I uh, wanted, nor was I doing it for a positive impact on other people. And so what drives me is my why, is the opportunity every single day to engage people in meaningful ways so that we live in a more fulfilled world. Um, And that looks different, you know. This I consider engaging people in meaningful ways. We're having a meaningful, important conversation that is going to be shared with other people. That's wonderful. Um, it could be one-on-one coaching conversation with someone from our team or my wife or a, or a close friend who's wanting to start a business, you know, or with one of my siblings on parenting. You know, I care about impacting people's lives in a positive way so that life becomes more worth it. I don't care about business. I care about people. But we can just Im- impact a lot of people by showing up to where they work because we congregate there. Yep. Right. That's why we we look to the to the sermon in a church <laughs> or a place of worship because we gather a lot of people. It's just quicker to make an impact where people gather rather than attempting to go to all their homes. So that's why we work with organizations. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, how long have you been involved with Simon and your team there? When you say you, you used to be in the workplace, so do you consider that part of your journey here uh, with everything that you do? Yeah, totally. So I've been on our team for over five years now. Um, I started my career in uh, in a large corporation in a accelerated management program, a, lead, a rotational leadership development program. The only issue is I forgot to ask them what their definition of leadership was. Uh, we, we use the term, but there's no common definition. 
And so they they define leadership more so as profit and loss and, and title. Um, and if you happen to be white male and had gray hair, that's typically <laughs> what it meant to be a leader. Um, and uh, and for me, my definition of leadership is to be a positive steward for the lives of those in your span of care. You know, to be a positive influence. Yeah, and serving. And um, yeah, and so. Um, yeah, I, I fell out of love with my career very quickly. It was scary because I'd made a choice that I thought was the right choice and it turned out not to be. And so the first thing I did is made myself wrong. What's wrong with me? Why am I not loving this? Uh, and fortunately through um, mentors and a lot of time and reflection and patience and work, I figured out what I really wanted to do, which was the very opposite of how I felt <laughs> in that first job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it took me, you know, like we talk about the the millennial generation a lot, which mm-hmm. I am a millennial, right? Born 1984 and, and about till the year 2000. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm right in there. And, um, you know, millennials, because of what they've been exposed to and because they've been taught that, you know, doing good is good, you know, it's an idealistic generation for the most part that wants to have an impact in the work that they do wonderful right absolutely wonderful um the only issue is it's not enough to say i want to make an impact right that's like saying nick you should do what you love but if you don't know what you love (laughs) how can you do it and so in order to make an impact you first have to find what do you what what impact do you intend to make What's the cause that you'd be willing to commit to for the rest of your life and your career happens to be an expression of that? Yeah. And so, you know, it took me not so long to figure out what I wanted to contribute toward. I knew I wanted to contribute toward people feeling engaged, inspired, and fulfilled by their everyday. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took about, if I'm honest, about four years, if not even closer to five into my career and after making that discovery that I finally felt that I was making meaningful strides toward it and that I wasn't just talking about doing the work. I was actually doing the work. And I credit, as I think any one of us should, all of my successes in my own journey and career are based upon the the sacrifices that others have made for me and the risks that others have chosen to take on me. Right. And if you subscribe to that idea that our success is a direct correlation of the risks that others take on us, what are the conditions you're creating for others to take a risk on you? And there are a lot of millennials who are impatient because let's face it, when I was a kid, if I wanted to watch a movie, I'd go to a retail location called Blockbuster. (laughs) I'd spend about 25 minutes there, of which I could have binge watched already one episode of something. Right. Just figuring out what to pick. (laughs) right i then picked it got back on my bike rode home watched it and then had to go back and return it right you know in that process i could have watched three seasons of the house of cards (laughs) and so we've created an amazing um innovations and conveniences with technology but the only thing that technology can't do is build meaningful relationships and find us fulfillment in our career which is a journey right it's why i love the name of this podcast mastering purpose because you never do as soon as you think you've got it there's more right right 
when you have a purpose, you can leave a legacy because you're never done. Like Martin Luther King Jr., a man who lived with purpose, had purpose around a more just and equal world and to be in order to that end. And it never will stop. He will forever be alive because he stood for, for something. And even when we go and inhabit Mars and mess that one up too, uh, we will have inspiration in MLK to look to what we can do to create a more just and equal society. So that's the cool thing about this stuff is it never ends. It's a pair of shoes we can always grow into. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, yeah, there's a video I watched. Um, it might have been a month ago or so with Simon talking about the millennial generation. And he one of the things that I that stuck with me out of that was he said that, you know, these millennials, well, including myself too, I'm one, but we want to find the purpose. We want to do what is fulfilling, but a lot of us don't have the patience. So when we go, you know, six months into our career or a year into whatever we're doing and we're not finding that purpose, we're not finding that fulfillment. We think that we're not on the right path or we think that, you know, that's not right for us. But he was saying that there's still that part where you have to put in the years of effort too. So how do you relate those two things? If you're trying to find purpose, you're trying to find what you love to do, but also you have to put in years of service to whatever that calling is. So we don't necessarily have to put in years of service to find our purpose. So by, by the time we're about 20 years old, we have a why. Okay. And finding our why is based upon our life experiences. So I've done a why discovery with someone as young as 16 years old, and we got it. Um, but they had rich life experiences. They yeah. had many peaks and many valleys. And so the way to find one's why is quite easy. You just can't do it on your own because we cannot be objective with ourselves. And so the way you find your why is you go to that whiteboard or you take a sheet of paper and you draw peaks and valleys. And on the peaks, you write the specific ex experiences and stories in your life, whether it's in your career or if you don't have any career experience, you can still find a why. You still have a why. You go to all of the experiences in your life, school-aged years, college years, extracurriculars, family life, all of it, and you write what are the times in your life that you have felt fulfilled, where you've been in flow, like time stood still. What are the great moments? Write down those specific experiences. Further, what are some of the valleys? <laughs> so some of the times that were extremely hard, um, that you wish never to return to again. However, you're glad that you've experienced them because they've helped shape and make you who you are today. Yeah. Right? I know you've had some of those. <laughs> yeah, right? For sure. I think it's the I think it's the birth of what you're doing with this. Yeah. It was just as as my journey was born out of pain, and I didn't want any anyone else to experience that. Um, I created, I, cre I devoted my life to creating something positive. So we go to those peaks and those valleys, those specific instances and stories where either life was amazing or life was its hardest um, or most challenging or most, most growth. Uh, and we share, we share those experiences one by one with someone who is objective and someone that we trust. And as we share three, four, five, six stories and go from one coffee shop to the next or one bar to the next, <laughs> and we share our life story, it becomes obvious, not to us, but to our listener. Okay. The listener begins to see patterns and themes that keep coming up. Uh, and that is the blueprint of your hows, your values, your guiding principles, what matters to you, and your why, the ultimate cause that drives and inspires you.
So that's how you can find it. And you don't need 20 years of career experience. You just need 20 years of experience on this planet to find it. But what's great is once you have clarity of your why, you have relationship to the type of impact you intend to make, and then you have a filter. So it gives you patience and perspective. You can say, well, this is my why, to engage people in meaningful ways so that we live in a more fulfilled world. Now, I may not be doing that full on right now, but do I believe that I'm on the right path? We're all for, you know, like millennials view, and I had this experience, where I knew the impact I wanted to make, and it was like clearly seeing a peak of a mountain, but I had no idea how to get up it. And I thought I could do it like that, and I didn't know what it was going to take. And I felt lost because I was clear on step one, and I was clear on step 10. I just didn't know two through nine. And absent of two through nine, it was very hard to make any progress. But when we're clear on step 10, we can make decisions around, are the people I'm around right now, both at work and in my life, are the things that I'm doing right now getting me closer toward making that impact or making it seem further away? Uh, are the things that I'm choosing to spend to, to do my time outside of school or work, are they bringing me closer to it or not? And so, you know, I hate the term pay your dues. I, I, don't, I don't like it. What I like is um, building relationship and trust. So when I joined our team, um, Am I, do I feel that I'm aligning and joining myself with an organization that intends to make the type of impact that I wish to in my life and career? Absolutely. <laughs> right? Was I able to contribute the way I wanted to from the very beginning? Absolutely not. Because it takes time. Right. I came in and I'm like, you'll put me on a stage and I'll get to do all the things <laughs> that I want to do and feel the glory. And I'll, you know, nope. <laughs> we, gotta, we, have to tr we have to trust you first. You got to do the dirty work. And so I answered fan email for two years. I, I did our, our website technology. I suck at that, right? I did product. I, I did all these things that weren't the, the thing necessarily that I was destined to do. But instead of focusing on, I want to contribute this way to make this impact, I just focused on, well, what can I just contribute to right now? And if I, if I can do as good of a job as I possibly can, people will want to take a risk on me. Right. And when we pretend to be more than we are, people knock us down. But mm -hmm. when we humbly say who we are and what we can do to contribute in this moment, people build us up. And so I stopped attempting to prove to people how good I was and just showed up to improve and to serve. And by doing that, uh, people on our team took risks on me. Right. So, so yeah, I, I think it's anyone can discover um, their why, um, you know, dependent upon your life experience and age, you can't do it alone. And then once you do, I, I think it provides you with, um, a filter of, do I feel like I'm moving in the right direction? Um, and you know, I'm 30. And so if, if all goes well, I'll have another 45 years in my career. When I think about it from that long-term perspective, <laughs> wow, that's it's a, a lot of time. years that, that I can make a lot of impact. Yep. And if I'm not doing it in eight months, that's okay. That's okay. So long as I feel like the people around me inspire me, that I'm making progress. If you don't feel like you're making progress, find a quicker way to climb up the mountain. Take a helicopter. I don't care. <laughs> Build a chairlift. Good for you. So long as it doesn't squash people along the way all the power to you. Yeah. So you mentioned having that filter. Is that deciding what you're going to say no to also? Could you add that on there? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, um, we call it this the celery test. So, you know, we all look for advice. We all lean into people that we trust and love to help us make the right decisions for any for anything, for everything in, in our life that matters. And so let's say I'm I'm uh I'm hosting a dinner party because I'm inviting my best friends over to help me figure out what I should do with my business. And uh, I bring them over, I make them dinner, and I say, okay, guys, I need your advice. I say, this is my issue, what do I do? And one by one, they each give very valid, research-based, um, experiential advice. <laughs> and one, one friend says, you need to get Twizzlers. When we got red licorice, Twizzlers in our, in our business solved the same problem just like that. Someone else says, celery. We didn't do celery, but you know the business down the road? They did, and it solved the problem. Somebody else says M&Ms. Somebody else says Snickers. And finally, someone says kale. I'm like, what? <laughs> kale. I'm like, I go to Walmart that night, and I get all these groceries, right? I get Twizzlers. I get celery, M&Ms, Snickers, and kale, right? And the question is, does anyone know who I am and what I stand for? Nope, just some idiot buying a bunch of groceries. But as soon as I tell you what my why is, let's say my why is, uh, to lead a healthy lifestyle and inspire others to do the same. What do I buy? Becomes clear. Celery and kale. You can probably think of other things. Spinach, chia seeds. You know, you can think of other things that I would buy, but I do not get the Snickers, I do not get the Twizzlers, and I do not get the M&Ms. Maybe sometimes I get a treat or I buy dark chocolate, right? But now I have all these things in my shopping cart and I walk around more confidently. People can look to what I have and they can make assumptions. Wow, he's committed to his health and fitness and, and nutrition. And all of a sudden I attract people who are also committed to their health, health, fitness and nutrition. So it absolutely is a, a filter to help other people see who we are, which gives greater opportunity. And for us to absolutely figure out what to say yes to and what to say no to. Yeah. Yeah, it's really helpful because I know a lot of a lot of people struggle with doing five or six things at a time. And I read a really good book, which I, I really need to read again, but it's by Gary Keller. It's called The One Thing. Have you read that okay. book? No, I haven't. Very, very interesting book. Basically, it just talks about mo setting aside the things that are not most important and taking the most important thing and fo focusing on that. It's the one thing, blocking out four hours in your day to focus on that one thing that is most important. And by that you achieve, you know, some of your greatest results because you're not working on three or four different things at the same time. Yeah. So you can which have includes, it. Yeah. Which, which, which includes turning off your text messages. And Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, true. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people think they need to keep up with their social media. They need to keep up with posting frequently, which I, I do think is important to a certain extent, but then you also have to set that stuff aside if you're focusing on your why or what's important. So he said Absolutely. you can you can have one thing, you know, maybe in your fitness, your one thing is you want to lose 30 pounds by the end of the year. And then you break mm -hmm. it down into these smaller goals. But after reading that, it really changed your perspective on people think that if you're doing three things at once, that you, you might be doing a little bit of each one of those three things and getting them all done at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The, the definition of multitasking is doing more than one thing poorly. Yeah. <laughs> so true. <laughs> at the same time, right? Yeah. 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 So anyway, that was it was just a great book um, to really show you how maybe you shouldn't be doing three things. Maybe you should you should be focusing on that one thing, because one thing that I think a lot of people um, need to hear is that just because you're good at something doesn't necessarily mean that's what you should be doing. 
Yep. And I don't know if you would agree with that or not. I would. There's a difference between a skill and a strength. So a skill is something you're good at. A strength is something you're good at that you happen to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and strengths are what uh, put us into flow, flow theory, which comes from Martin Seligman and Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. I just like saying that name. Um, and, and flow is when you are both skilled, you're good at it, and you're challenged. You want to continue to get better. Um, and so a skill is something you're just good at, but you're not challenged by it. So you, you become bored with it. Right. But if you're both skilled and challenged by it, you always want to get better. Um, there's an amazing uh, assessment called Strengths Finder that I really encourage that people take and, and check out. Um, it's by Gallup and uh, by Tom Rath. And it's uh, an online assessment and you get spat out your top five strengths. Okay. Uh, and the order matters. There are 34 different strengths. So the likelihood that somebody else has your same strengths is one in like 34 million. Wow. And that, so there's one of me in my native country of Canada. There's 10 of you in your native country of the United States of America. <laughs> but, that, but that also assumes that those 10 people are of the age where their strengths are fully developed yep. and have an awareness of them and use them on purpose. In other words, we each have the capacity to be world-class at something. And we just have to figure out what that is. Yeah, and then delegate the stuff that we're not world-class at because it's a waste of our time. Right. <laughs> you know, And sometimes we can't delegate and we just got to do it but always move towards how can I amplify my strengths and delegate my weaknesses Yeah, and delegate the weaknesses to people who your weaknesses are their strengths. That's called a team. Yeah. Yeah. It's important about the delegation. I just read an article or, um, the other day that was talking about Frank Sinatra and when he was, when he was going to sing, he didn't help move the piano. He didn't help do all of these other things that a lot of entre- entrepreneurs try to do. They try to mm-hmm. do the all the menial tasks when they should be focusing, I like how you said that, right on the thing that they're good at because that's where you're going to get the ultimate fulfillment. I think it's important to remember that yeah. too. I'm, I'm not a fan of being a diva and not being someone who is willing uh, to help, but I, I think, yeah, I think we should focus on having the majority of what we do, you know, 80% of what we do being aligned with what we're naturally talented at and that we practice right a strength is a talent practiced so yeah i'm a proponent of that okay uh well um you pretty much talked i've got a couple other questions but we can skip over those because you talked about that um so what with all of your experience and everything that you've learned working with simon working in the corporate workplace what advice would you give to others that either they're trying to follow their purpose or their skills or, you know, maybe they've been doing it for less than a year. What, what would you say to them right now? I would say that we live in a world where we've been, especially in the developed um, Western world where it's more of an individualistic society. And we've been taught something that I think is fundamentally wrong for us as a species. Uh, We're social animals and all of our success is dependent upon our ability to cooperate to get along and make progress together. And um, doing it alone is a lie, and anyone who thinks that they do it alone is unappreciative, ungrateful, uh, and a bit of a bastard. And so um, I would say that, you know, an expression of this is that we have a books, a section in our bookstores called self-help, which um, is funny because it doesn't work. If it did work, the industry would stop growing right? If someone actually wrote a self-help book that worked, the industry would plateau. 
we've seen this in the in the industry of negotiations and mediation. There's a book called Getting to Yes written by a brilliant author and a brilliant man by the name of William Urey, and no one has written a better book since. <laughs> right? When you write a great book, nobody feels the need to write it again. <laughs> right. Or if they do, they just build upon it. Yeah. And so um, I would say that the only thing the self-help industry helps is itself. And what we do know works as human beings because we're social animals and we um, gain our fulfillment and our success by cooperating, by serving others, is that I want to see, we want to see an, uh, an industry, a shelf in the bookstore called Help Others. Um, the greatest program that I know of for creating long-term, meaningful, and sustainable change in people's lives is a well-known program called the 12-step program by Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Step one, admit you have a problem. Step one, surrender. I want to improve. But Alcoholics, AA knows that if you go through steps one through 11, bravo. If you commit to step 12, you will beat the disease. And step 12 is the commitment to take these teachings and your experiences and give them to another. This is how we help those overcome PTSD, right? It's help serve another who who's going through the same experience that you've overcome but we are never overcomers we're always overcoming always always overcoming right yeah and if we stop that commitment to step 12 we'll slip back on and so um i would say to anyone who wants to make a change in their life find others who want to make the same change or a similar change and help them and if you help them they'll help you right and together make progress and so for anyone who wants to get out of the mundane or the monotony or go off of autopilot and live life and, and make it worth it, uh, do it together because you're all the more likely of doing it when you help others. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I could tell you tomorrow morning I'm going for a run, 6.45 a.m. The likelihood of that happening, 0.1%. <laughs> like I'm, I'm an expert at letting myself down every day. But what I'm also an expert at is um, – not letting the people around me that I care about down. If if a friend of mine's like, I'll see you there, 645, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> now I actually have to do it because I won't let them down. I'll let me down, but I'm not going to let them down. And so when we go together, we will go farther. Yeah, the importance of an accountability partner. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps everything up, Stephen. I really appreciate you being here and taking the time out of your day. Um, where, what are some places people can find you online, whether it's with Start With Why or is it Inspire Action? I know you, you have a lot of stuff on that website too. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, all at the usual places. So um, any place that you'd expect to find us online, we're typically there. Uh, start with why, WHY.com. Um, is our company site and you can learn more about me uh, individually if you'd like at inspiraction it's inspire action with a v <laughs> okay dot uh, ca okay um so yeah thanks so much nick i appreciate you creating this and providing a platform to uh to share these ideas yeah i hope i hope it serves purpose for years to come i, I really do so i really i want to thank you again so all right well get better and happy one year Mark to your daughter whenever she makes that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Very All much. right. Take care. Cool. Awesome. 
Stephen, thanks again for being on the podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. You just brought so much insight and value for anyone out there that's listening, so I really do appreciate it. For all of you that want to get more information about Stephen, head over to masteringpurpose.com slash podcast7. That'll be all of everything that we talked about in the podcast wrap-up section. It'll be the books and each and everything that uh, you might have more interest in. Remember that you've got a life to live, so take action now and define your purpose. Take care.